0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter one as we return to our study this morning in the book of Ephesians. We have been studying Ephesians chapter one for a few months now, with a few breaks here and there. Uh, we continue our study this morning, starting in verse, starting at the end of verse verse nineteen. Let me pray for us, and, and we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning and praise You that we could be can be here together as we praise Your holy name, as we sing uh, to You, O oh Lord, as we raise our voices. Lord, we look forward to the time in heaven that we will be able to sing perfectly to You, that our voices will not crack, and that our voices will raise a perfect medley. And Lord, we Pray for that time. Pray for that time when our worship will be perfect. But until that time, Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity to sing together. We're thankful for the opportunity to pray together here in this fallen world. Lord, we look forward to you and for the Lord Jesus to come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. as, uh, As Jonathan mentioned, we're going to, on Saturday, have have the barbecue and we're going to have also we're going to have uh, some baptisms. I'm thankful that there are some folks who are ready to be baptized uh, that are have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and want to uh, be obedient and entering the waters of baptism and proclaim to the world and to the church that they have in fact been saved by the Lord Jesus. So I'm thankful for that opportunity that we will have as a church to enjoy that precious time i hope that you will come Uh, i hope that you will be able to be a part of that time well over the past several months we have been as i said slowly working through ephesians chapter one i believe that this chapter really is the pinnacle of christian theology it's the pinnacle of christian doctrine In it, we find the plan of God in redeeming this world from from its current fallen state. I know that we all in our hearts cry out for the time when Christ would redeem this world. Just yesterday, I had a brief conversation with my wife about the corrupt culture that we live in. We were lamenting about the toil of living in this world with all its temptations and troubles and difficulties that we face. There are plenty of major problems that I could point out to demonstrate the corrupt nature of the world, but I'm really just talking about the general issues of living in this corrupt world. On Friday, I also had a brief conversation with one of you about our culture and the increasing difficulty of the Christian walk considering the problems that we face. If you are like me, you can become overwhelmed by the struggles we face in this world. As I'm sure you know, the world, this world system is, a, is an ever-increasing threat to Christians. Uh, we have an ever-increasing threat from persecution. But I'm not talking about just persecution. I'm talking about the threat of worldliness that we have. We all... If you are in this world, if you have flesh, and you do, we all have a tendency to love the world. But James warned his readers this. He said this to his readers You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, worldliness really is uh, an enemy. It really is, and it causes us, if we succumb to worldliness, it causes us to be an enemy of God, according to James, according to the Word of God. Beloved, this threat is just as prominent today as it was when James wrote those words. The love of the world, love of the world is a silent killer in our families and our churches. I hope you can see that, and I hope you can realize that. I have personally at times been a been or felt overwhelmed by the threat that we face. The enemy wants to destroy our families. Make sure you understand that. The enemy wants to destroy our families. The enemy wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy the church. He hates it. And if our church stands for Christ, then we know that we will be attacked by the enemy. We will be attacked for standing for the truth of the gospel. Now, I'm struck in reading the, the pages of the New Testament to see how many ways Satan attacked the early church. He attacked them from the outside by people who hated the truth of the gospel, but he also attacked them from the inside by people who professed to love Christ, to who professed to love the gospel, yet worked to add to its message, thus undermining its precious truth. It was amid these difficulties and these problems that the writer, writers of the New Testament labored under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record the whole of Scripture, or the words of the New Testament, that is. Now, I cannot overstate the dangers these early Christians faced as they fought for the truth of God's Word. You might, as we interpret the pages of the New Testament... We must keep these dangers and great difficulties in mind as we read, as we study, as we interpret. Because we do so from the comfort of our homes, right? We do so from the comfort of, of our Western culture that, that wants to make us feel good about ourselves. So when we read the, the pages of the New Testament and we interpret it from that point of view, from our point of view, that is, then we stand to get it wrong. Beloved, there continues to be a great struggle for the souls of every living person in this world. There continues to be a great battle, and this battle, beloved, is very, very real. We must work to understand the great suffering which which faced the apostles and the churches as they struggled to follow Christ (coughs) in order to understand this great battle. Their physical plight, the difficulties they faced, were more or greater than we can ever imagine, than we can imagine, at least in our culture today, here, in this, in this culture. When Paul speaks of the spiritual realities of what God the Father has done for all believers in Christ, we must look at it from the black da- backdrop of the suffering the, cho- the church has endured to preserve the message of the cross. that makes sense? As an example, we must remember that Paul was actually imprisoned as he was as he for preaching the gospel as he wrote this very letter of Ephesians. Now let me get to the heart of what's really going on in my mind and heart. And I look at the landscape of the evangelical church and I'm grieved at what I see. We've lost focus. We we are we are threatened by the culture yet the greater threat comes from within. Really no different, right? It's really no different than what Paul said. Paul said that false teachers would arise from among you. So there is, a, there is a threat from the culture. There is a threat from the outside. But actually, the greater threat comes from within our own churches. As we allow the culture to come into the churches, as we continue to let uh, the, the world dictate what we do, there's a greater threat from within to capitulate to the world. Look, there's a reason why that here at Grace Bible Church we are committed to our four ministry pillars. Because they hold us uh, down the down the line. They hold us uh, between the lines. They, they keep us from getting in, out into the ditches of the road. They keep us from crashing the, the, the church and, and failing. If we follow Christ, we can't fail, right? Because He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Beloved, everything that we do then must be be to exalt God. That's our first ministry pillar. Everything we do must be focused on glorifying the Lord of the church. Jesus, as I said, promised to build His church. He purchased the church with His own blood. He promised that the gates of Hades would not overcome it. He did these things to set apart a people for His own possession so that they would proclaim His excellencies. Brothers and sisters, it is that simple. It is that simple. He saved you and me so that we would be His worshipers. That we would worship Him for eternity. And according to Ephesians 1, He made this plan before the foundation of the world. He did it in this way so that we could not boast of any work that caused us to save Him. Have you ever wondered why... When man sinned, God didn't just destroy everything and start over? Why he didn't just immediately let it just, just destroy it? Because we will exalt him for his mercy and grace. We will exalt him for showing us grace. We will exalt him for his patience and long suffering. We will worship him for eternity for redeeming us from our sins. So we here at Grace Bible Church desire to exalt God in all that we do. We also desire to exposit the Word because we believe the only way we can truly know Him to have an intimate relationship with Him is through His Word. You see, the heavens tell of the glory of God. That's Psalm 19. We can know that He exists by His handiwork. We see it everywhere in creation, the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, and all that they contain, the flowers of the field, the birds of the sky, even the stars of the heavens, they tell of the presence and the the nature of God. The sun marches where he tells it to march every day. All these speak of the power of God that we serve, who spoke all these things into existence by his word. It's important as a church for us to to protect a, a six day creation, because creation ex nihilo or nihilo, everything out of nothing declares the power of God of Scripture. He spoke everything out of out of nothing. He everything came to be by His word. And in creation we see the the power of God. Beloved, we can know this because. He has stated it in His Word. We can know that every significant detail declares of, the, of creation, declares the power of God. But we also know from His Word that His power cannot be measured. Creation declares the existence and power of God, but it is by His Word that we can know Him, as the Psalmist states, also in Psalm 19, verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So we exposit here at Grace Bible Church, we exposit the Word so people can come to know the Lord and be made wise unto salvation. And we also equip the saints so that each of us as believers will be given wisdom and insight into His Word. Beloved, it is an absolute game-changer in your life when we live according to the Word of God. Therefore, we intend to have ministries here at Grace Bible Church which equip the saints for the work of the service, so that we will serve God and serve one another. And we also equip the saints so that we will go out and evangelize the lost. Earlier I said that I'm grieved at what I see in the church. At times I'm overwhelmed by the incessant attacks from within the church and from the world. I literally, I read in social media and I read some of the things that people are saying and I'm absolutely grieved. I just take it to the Lord. But I believe this was also Paul's struggle. And in 2 Corinthians 11:23, 23, Paul spoke of the times he was imprisoned, beaten, and in danger of death. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was, three times he was beaten with rods. He was even stoned to the brink of death. Three times he was shipwrecked. Beloved, he faced dangers that we can't imagine. We cannot imagine the pain and hardship that he endured from his persecutions. Yet the welfare of the churches, the welfare of the churches was what was foremost in his mind. That was his greater concern. Just listen to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says this: apart from such external things, you know, the beatings, the lashings, the shipwrecks, and all the things that he faced. There is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. He says this in, 11, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty 29. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? I mean, think of, the, think of the pressure that's on him. So you might ask then, what does Paul put his confidence in as he struggles with these difficulties from outside and from within the church? Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 13. 13, 4. For indeed He, that would be the Lord Jesus, was crucified because of weakness, yet He lives because of the power of God. For we are also weak in Him, yet we will live with Him because of the power of God directed toward you. You see, you see He put His confidence not in the flesh. He put His confidence in the gospel. In Romans 1 He declared, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Beloved, Paul had complete confidence in the gospel of God because he understood his power, and he understood that in the gospel was the power of God. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he says this, says the same thing, he says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You see, Paul was fully convinced that God's power... Is, was fully realized in the preaching of the gospel. So his concern for the churches, his concern for the people of the churches, he, he, his confidence completely was in the preaching of the gospel so that lives would be changed, so that people would become worshipers for eternity. And how was that power displayed in the lives of the Thessalonians? By making idol-worshipping pagans into gospel-believing, God-loving, and worshiping Christians. Same power that is in you if you believe. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to completely change lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to completely change our eternal destiny from hell to heaven. This truth was Paul's confidence. In First Thessalonians 1 9, Paul reminds the Thessalonians, he says this, that they turned from God to idols, or from idols to serve a living true God. Then he says this, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. That's where Paul puts his confidence. I hope you don't miss the profound change in these people's lives that he's talking about. You see, Paul had a deep understanding of the power of God. This was Paul's complete confidence amid a world of chaos. You know, I've heard many preachers stand up and challenge their people to share the gospel with those around them. And rightly so, I think. But I'm going to challenge you in a different way today. I'm going to challenge you and ask you, do you believe in the power of God which is displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the gospel has the power to change people, making them into worshipers of Jesus Christ? I hope to show you today that the same power which raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly places is at work in you. We've been studying, as I said, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, 15-23. Today, we have arrived at the end of verse 19. In the first 14 verses, Paul explained to the Ephesians that All that God has accomplished in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. He has chose us in Christ from the foundation of the world. He has adopted us as sons through Christ. He has redeemed us through the blood of Christ. He has revealed His will to sum up all things in Christ. And He has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment for our full redemption in Christ. Now this was all done so that God would get all the glory. And after giving the Ephesians these astonishing truths, after giving them these astonishing truths, Paul begins to share his prayer with them. Paul begins his prayer in verse 15 by showing that his thankfulness that God had saved them, that saved the Ephesians through faith in him. And in verse 17, he says that it is because of what God has done in saving them and sending the Holy Spirit that they can be granted wisdom and knowledge. And in verses 18 and 19, he says that the eyes of their hearts have been enlightened so that they can understand the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, the the glory of His inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of His power. Now, that's where we left off last week. Last time we studied what Paul means by the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance. And we began to touch upon the greatness of God's power. And we found that by any standard of greatness by which you may measure God's power, he is much greater than that. No matter what you compare him to, no matter how you, what standard you use, he far exceeds it. Think of the greatest thing in your life the most satisfying, or the grandest. You see, God's power far exceeds these things. Later in Ephesians 3, he says this in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in to, in a, within us, that is. According to Paul, then, according to Paul, we have access to this same power because this power works within us. And I believe that our church, our lives, our church, our families would be transformed if we truly understood the power of God that works within us. Now, starting in verse 19, or at the end of verse 19, Paul prays that the Ephesian church would, be, would comprehend the four, astonish, four astonishing truths about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. He wants everyone, he wants the Ephesians, and he wants everyone who reads this to understand that this same power first raised our Lord from the dead. Look at verse verse 19. Paul writes, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might Section here. Some people believe that this is actually a break from his prayer, but I believe it continues his prayer that he started in verse 15. He starts this section by speaking of the, the working of the strength of his might. Now, this phrase, this this phrase working of the strength of his might actually modifies the, the phrase the surpassing greatness of his power. What Paul is doing then is he's using a preposition, again a grammar lesson, but he's using a preposition which denotes a standard, in this case, the standard of God's power. And in doing so, he will list a series of three words, which he uses as the standard of the surpassing greatness of God's power. We could even say, then, that what Paul is doing is that he's describing the breadth of God's power, what what God's power affects, if you will. Now, to do this, as I said, he uses a series of three words for power. Describing again the breadth of it. The first word we saw last week is where we get the word, or the English word, dynamite. Now, this word describes God's inherent power. This, This has the idea of God's ability to act and do as He pleases. You could say that this is God's potential power, this describes what God could do if He chose to do so. The second word that Paul uses describes God's operative power. This is God's active power. It is God's supernatural power that is an actual operation. The active exercise of supernatural power, that is. Psalm 115.3 describes God's actual power when, he says, when the psalmist says this, But our God is in heaven, and He does whatever He pleases. The third word that Paul uses means ultimate power. This word has the idea of strength or might, like physical strength in a relationship, in relationship that is to war or battle. This, this is God's power to rule and might. <clears throat> it is from this word, the word that we get that, that, is, that is translated might, it's this word that we get the word theocracy or God's rule. Now Paul actually uses a fourth word for power. If you get the idea here, Paul is stacking terms. So Paul is using several different terms that we could translate power or might. And the fourth word he uses speaks of God's capability to effectively use His power for our good and His glory. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. When you put all these words together, what we begin to see is the breadth of God's power. You see, there is absolutely no deficiency in his power. He doesn't come up short. He, he, there's no deficiency in any aspect of his power. We've all witnessed powerful people, but they always have deficiencies in their use of power. A president might have power in his words, say... But he comes up short in following through on his actions. A a preacher may walk in holiness, which powerfully demonstrates the powerful power of God, but he may struggle to relate to people. A businessman may have the ability to cast a, a vision, but have no ability to follow through on his words. Samson, in the Old Testament, was physically powerful, but he was unable to restrain the flesh. David was a, a powerful king who united the kingdom of, of Israel, but failed to, to, failed to resist the urge to be with Bathsheba. You, you get the point. There's always deficiency in when it comes to man and his power. But when it comes to God, there's no such deficiencies. His power does not come up short. And here's the most amazing part. What Paul is saying is that when you look at God, when you, when you think of God, there's power everywhere. Any way you cut it, there's power. But here's the most amazing part. If you're a Christian, you have access to that power. Because that power is within you. Harold, 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 Harold Hohner says this in his commentary on Ephesians about this passage. He says this, Paul states, that the end of knowing God intimately is that we know what is the surpassing greatness of His ability or potential power, which is according to the uh, mighty activity of power derived from His inherent strength. This power is directed to all who believe. It is the kind of power that is needed to survive the satanic, hostile powers and worldly system that surrounds us. So, his potential power which is according to his activity which is derived from his inherent strength and that is the power that is directed to all who believe and it's the kind of power that we need to survive the satanic hostile powers and worldly system that surrounds us believe it, beloved that is that is actually my point from earlier if you're paying attention to the challenges in our families you t- if you're paying t- attention to the, f- the challenges that our churches face, then you will understand the importance of understanding God's power. You see, you and I are deficient to face these challenges in the flesh. But God has directed His power toward all who believe. <coughs> Chuck Colson says this I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the, the decay around us. The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed. He says this, Our hope is in the power of God working in the hearts of the people. End quote. End quote. Beloved, our hope, as Chuck Colson says here, our hope is not in laws to be passed. It's not in a, a president. President Obama, President Trump, President Reagan, Bush, it doesn't, doesn't matter who the president is. Our hope is not in what laws might get passed so that we would change the culture. Our hope is in the power of God. Our hope, then, is in the gospel, which is what I said earlier. In Romans 1, is the power of God unto salvation. Look at verse 20. Ephesians 1.20, Paul begins to give examples of the power of God. He says this in verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Beloved, the raising of Christ from the dead is the first demonstration of God's immense and active power to defeat death. God, The God who created the world now has shown that he is the author of life. It's not the only time Paul has equated God's power with the resurrection of Christ. In Romans 1.4 he says this of Jesus. He says that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. (coughs) The resurrection from the dead clearly, clearly demonstrates that Jesus is God and clearly declares to the world that He defeated death. It's a clear demonstration then. The fact that, that Christ went, He was dead, and was placed in that tomb dead, and that He was raised with power. It's a clear demonstration of the power of God, and clear evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's powerful. In 1 Corinthians 6.14, it says this, Now God has not only raised the Lord, but it will also raise us up through His power. So the power that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead is the same power that will raise us from the dead. Beloved, we serve a risen Savior. Every, every other man and, and woman or woman who has ever died has remained in the grave. Now, Some were raised from the dead like Lazarus, but they were raised only to die again. Our Lord lives. He lives. And that's our hope. That's our hope. Christ wasn't raised from the dead. We're, of all men, most to be pitied. But Jesus was raised from the dead. And He has completely defeated death and in Him you will be raised up, and you will defeat death by His power. In Philippians 3.10, Paul writes this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. The only reason that Paul could ever desire to suffer and die for the sake of Christ is that Jesus has conquered death in His power. Why do you think the world is looking for the fountain of youth, beloved? Why do you think that they're looking for things that will extend their life? Why do you think men are getting frozen so that they maybe somebody will ha- come up with a cure that will bring them back to life? Because everybody knows the enemy's death. Everybody faces death. But in Christ, the enemy's been conquered through the power of God. He goes on to say that, He says that being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew that God's power had raised Jesus from the dead and he trusted that Jesus' resurrection would result in His own resurrection. Therefore, he could live powerfully. He could live courageously. He could suffer for the cause of Christ because he knew that that wasn't the end. This truth prompted Paul to the following following words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, Paul wants everyone to understand that that power, that God's immeasurable, the the immeasurable greatness of His power is demonstrated in raising Christ, our Lord, from the dead. But it's also demonstrated in it also is demonstrated in revering our Lord at God's right hand. Look at the text. And by the way, we're only going to be able to get to two points today. It says this, "...which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places." You see, not only has God's power raised Christ from the dead, but it has seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You see, beloved Christ, the Lord Jesus, is the exalted Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. This position has been reserved for Christ alone. None of us will sit at God's right hand. It displays His sovereignty and it indicates His rule over heaven and earth. As I mentioned earlier, he raised Lazarus from the dead only to, to die again. But he raised Christ from the dead and he exalted him at his right hand. This is a position of honor which comes with great authority. Just listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 28. He says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. How much authority? Some authority? A little bit of authority? No. All authority has been given to me. You see, the the exaltation of Christ was even prophesied in Psalm 110. It says this in Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Peter applied the scripture to Jesus of Nazareth in his sermon uh, sermon at Pentecost. He says this, In Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. But then he says this in verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. And then he goes on in verse 33 and says this, 32. Then then Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this poured forth this which you both see and hear. The point is, is that Jesus, Christ was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He was raised from the dead, and He was exalted, and He was seated at the right hand of the Father. And Psalm 110 had said that, it was, that it, David had said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make an, the, your enemies a footstool at your feet. And Peter says the same thing in Acts 2.34. For it was not David who ascended into the heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord... The point is is that this Lord that is being talked about is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has been been raised up from the dead and He is seated at the the right hand of the Father. And beloved, this is the same power that we possess in Christ. The same power which raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of God, that same power is available to all believers. And it's not something that's elusive and can't be found. You don't have to have some special knowledge to to, to appropriate this power in your life. It's already yours in, in Christ. You already have it. Warren, who, Warren Wearsby, who passed away just a few months ago, was the pastor of Moody Church. He wrote a book called Be Rich. And in this book, he gives an illustration of a man named William... Randolph Hearst, who was a late newspaper publisher, Hearst at one point in his life decided to invest a fortune into collecting great pieces of art. He collected them from all over the world, world and studied them, in, or and stored them in warehouses in different places. He he invested an immense amount of money in, on this project. There was a, a de- he read a description of a piece of art, and he wanted to find this, this art, and so he sent his agent all over the world to find it. And it could be found nowhere. He went went for many months trying to find this piece of art. And finally he came back to to Hearst and he said this, Mr. Hearst, I found it. And with great joy, Hearst said, Where? Where was it? He said, It was in your warehouse. You bought it years ago. Beloved, you have already received everything you need in Christ. You have already received the power from on high. you don't have to go searching for it everywhere. G. Campbell Morgan says this, the purpose of God and the power of God is available for every man. Here in Ephesians 1, Paul says that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he has been seated at the right hand in the, at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2, I want to show you something. Look at verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. Now, we were dead, right? What does dead mean? Dead. Dead means dead. Dead doesn't mean kind of dead. We were dead. We were dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But look what else he did. So he he raised us up with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only not only has God raised up Christ, the power of God raises has raised Christ, but, and has seated him in the heavenly places in the heavenly places at his right hand. But will also raise us up. Has also raised us up has made us alive together with Him, and will raise us up with Him and seat us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Does it sound like that we have part of the power of God? No, we've been given everything. We've been given everything. Now, I said earlier that I am overwhelmed sometimes. I'm overwhelmed sometimes to understand how all this can be true and how all of it can be lived out when so much of our lives can feel mundane and common. How how can this be true in a chaotic world that that challenges us so much? How can... We realize God's power. I want to give you some areas where God's power can be clearly seen in the Christian life, can be clearly seen in your own life. These are not just beloved words on a page. This is real, this is power that you can have, that you have, that you possess. So let me give you some areas where God's power can be clearly seen in your life. First, you have been given the power to obey God and do His will. When Christ saved you, He gave you every resource you need to serve Him. He gives you every resource that you need to do His works, to do the works which He has given you to do. In Ephesians 2.10, He says this, For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see, He's given you works to do, and He gives you the resources you need to do them. You are not deficient in any way. Just like God's power is not deficient in any way, your resources, the resources that God has given you, is not deficient in any way. I'm reminded of Dr. Irv Buzanitz my Hebrew professor in seminary. If I remember this story correctly, he was involved in helping missionaries, especially helping them financially to, to, to be able to finance the, the mission. He said that without fail, without fail, those who were the, the most giving were also the most blessed in resources. Beloved... Those who are truly given are giving that is, understand, they understand the source of those resources, and they know that God will provide. They understand that the power doesn't come in from, from their ability to do things. They understand that it comes from God. The power is inherent with God. And coming to Gainesville, we didn't have any financial backing to plant this church. It has been through the generous giving of those who are here that this church has been funded. And we've been richly blessed. We have trusted that God will provide, and He has, and He will continue to do so. But this is not just about financial resources, beloved. Some folks fear that God or that they they don't have the energy, that is, to do God's will, to serve God. But this isn't true. You see, God will give you all the energy and all the resources that you need to accomplish His work. We serve a God who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works within us. You have the a power to accomplish incredible things for God. If only you would trust Him and go do it. If only you would trust Him and go do it. You've been given the resources. You've been given the energy to go and accomplish incredible things. Second, you've been given the power to effectively share the gospel. I said it earlier, and I'm not going to shame you into sharing the gospel with those around you, but I'm going to challenge you to understand that, that you have been given the very power of God which raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of God. You've got, you have that very, that very power at your, at, at your disposal. You see, God chooses those whom He will save, but He doesn't tell us who He will save, only that he, he has saved some. And if this is true, then you can't go wrong. You can't. You can't miss. <clears throat> he saved whom He will. And whether someone believes is not up to your ability to be persuasive. Paul said, as we said earlier, Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation. Beloved, do you truly believe that? You have been given the very power of God in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. You see, he's chosen to work through you, he's chosen to work through believers to save his people. And so, when you share the gospel, you are, you are displaying the very power of God. So, you can go and boldly share the good news of Christ, and He will give your ministry power from on high. You can trust that. Trust it. Third, you've been given power to endure great trials and suffering. You've been given power to endure great trials and suffering it's worth reminding you that Paul, again, Paul was imprisoned as he wrote this letter. And later in Ephesians 4.1, he refers to himself as the prisoner of the Lord, because Paul knew that he was imprisoned by the will of God for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel. In Philippians one twenty nine, he says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Beloved, that is a profound truth. You see, God gives us the power to suffer on behalf of Christ. The only way that we will suffer for Christ is if He gives us the power to do so. There's no way that you or I, either one, will ever want to suffer in our flesh. But we will suffer and we will endure great trials, and we will do so joyfully, according to James, because God has given us the power to do so. The sufferings of the apostles is the greatest proof, then, of the truth of the gospel. Paul says this in Colossians one twenty four. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share I do ship my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What he's saying is is that they made my Lord suffer and they are making me suffer because I'm following my Lord and I'm willing to do so and I'm willing to rejoice because it's for your sake. Beloved, there's no reason, there's absolutely no reason that Paul would have suffered for the sake of Christ other than he was given the power from on high to do so no other reason. And if you're a Christian here today, you've been given the same power to suffer for his sake. Now, if you're like me, you would admit that like me, you'd admit that you've wondered whether you could suffer for Christ. In my flesh, I know the answer. In my flesh, I don't want to. I don't want to. But I know, and I trust the promise that I've been given—the power of God—and I know that I can and I will if He calls me to do so. Because of what Christ has done in me. Fourth, you've been given the very power of God in prayer. You've been given the very power of God in prayer. Brethren, it is prayer that drives every ministry at Grace Bible Church. We need saints who pray for this church. We need them to pray for this church if we are to have gospel impact in our families even. In our families. If our families are going to come to know the Lord Jesus, then we need people praying, praying for them. We need people praying for the gospel to have any gospel impact on our community as well. One of the things that I, I brought up earlier that I can be overwhelmed by is I just don't see as many people coming to know the Lord as I... And my heart wants to see more come to know the Lord. And I see our churches just languishing. But we have the very power of God. We have the very power of God to, to share the gospel, to see people come to know the Lord, to see families come to know the Lord. And yet, we languish. If you want your family situation to change, then Pray. If you want our church to have greater impact, then pray. If you want your friend to turn to the Lord, to turn to Christ, then pray. You have the very power of God in prayer. The power of God which raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at God's right hand in the heavenlies, you have at your beck and call in prayer. Number five, you've been given the power to live courageously. You've been given the power to live courageously. Beloved, so many of us, myself included, tower down and forget what, that God is sovereign. And nothing happens outside of His ordaining it to happen. You don't, if this is true, and it is, then you don't have to live a life of what ifs. You don't have to live a life of what ifs. You know what what that is, right? Well, what if this happens? Or what if that goes wrong? Or what if I'm not accepted? What if they don't like me? What if he or she uh, shuns me? What if I get sick? What if I die? If God is sovereign, you don't have to live in that world. You don't have to fear if you're living in the will of God. Oh, beloved, you need to be obedient to His Word, to His revealed will, will in the Word of God. You must be walking in the Spirit. You must be a person of prayer. But if you're doing these things, then you don't have to worry about the consequences of of what might or might not happen. You don't have to live in that land of what-ifs. If you're doing, if you're living in His will, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're a praying person, then you are free to serve God without fear. A.W. Tozer says this, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. End quote." Beloved, do you believe that? Do you believe that we have the very power from on high? The very power that raised Christ from the dead? That seated Him in the heavenlies at the right hand of God? you do what do you lack you are surely the most favored of all of God's creation love if you're here today and you say to yourself i don't have this i don't know i don't have the power of god in me i dare say that you're trusting in the flesh you're trusting in your own means of accomplishment as Charles Spurgeon puts it the holiest of christians and those who understand the best of the gospel of christ find in themselves a constant inclination to the, to look to the power of the who let me say that again the holiest of christians and those who understand the best of the gospel of christ find in themselves a constant inclination to look to the power of the creature instead of looking to the power of god and the power of god alone End quote the point is is that we all Struggle this way. We all struggle to look at our own, have an inclination to look at our own flesh, to look to our flesh. Our tendency is to trust in the power of the creature. Our tendency is to trust in the flesh, our talents, our looks, our ability to make money. But Paul Washer says this The more you trust in the arm of the flesh, the less you're going to see the power of God. End quote. Let me say that again. The more you trust in the arm of the flesh, the less you're going to see the power of God. End quote. Beloved, if you're here today and you're trusting in the flesh, then I dare say you won't see the power of God in your life. If you're not seeing the power of God in your life, then I dare say you're trusting in the flesh. Said, a different way. My prayer, then, would be for all of us to trust in the power of God in all that we do. Don't rely on self. Don't rely on the flesh when you have the, the very power of God to accomplish all things. Here's the truth, though. I'll, I'll use the words of Oswald, Oswald Chambers. Every element of, that, of our own self-reliance must be put to death by the power of God. Beloved, it's the very power of God that kills our self-reliance. Beloved, I pray that we would truly understand as Christians we have constant access to God's power. We have constant access to that same power which raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. And if we believe that, if we believe that, it gives us the power to obey and do His will. It gives us the power to effectively share the gospel with the lost. It gives us the, the power to endure great trials and suffering. It gives us the power of prayer. Our prayers are effective as we pray in God's will. And it gives us great power to live courageously before God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. I do pray for our church, all the folks here. Lord, I see so many chasing after the power of God, wanting to see it in Places that mean nothing. When we have been given the very power of God at salvation. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Same power that seated him in the heavenly places at your right hand. We have access to. Directed toward us. You are able to do more than we can ever imagine. And you choose to do these things through us. You choose to work through your people. We are a people for your own possession that are here, that are left here, my Lord, to proclaim your excellencies. Father, I pray that we would share the gospel for it is the power of Christ unto salvation. I pray that we would would live courageously before You, without fear, that we would understand that You are sovereign over everything, that nothing happens outside of Your directing it to happen, that we can endure great trials and suffering because we know that it is from Your hand, for our good and Your glory. Father, I pray that we would live our lives, that we would, according to Christ, that we would take up our cross and follow You. That we would understand that gaining the whole world, we would lose our souls. But in Christ, in Christ, we've been given everything. Father, may we live courageously. May we live before you in a way that that pleases you. Father, I pray for our families. I pray, Lord, for those here that don't know you. Pray, Lord, that they would turn to you. Pray that they would come to see and understand their sinfulness before you and understand that they are under your wrath. They need you. They need you to save them. I Pray that you would call them unto yourself. They would turn to you, and they would follow you with their lives. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in this church. I pray thanking you for even next week as we have uh, this, these baptisms. I praise you for this. You're so good to us, and you've been so good to us, and I know you will continue to be so. May we live in a way that's pleasing to you.